How how is winter in the Netherlands? Uh, how is it? I haven't seen the sun for like ten days. I think. <laughs> I mean, that's that's winter in a lot. I mean, I live in the American yeah, South, no. and it doesn't get that cold here. But as you can see, I'm kind of washed out right now because we are getting sunlight today. Um, but yeah, it's uh. Um, so I, I would say that the main difference is like it's not that cold. Even though we had some like a, a cold wave recently, but compared to where I, I'm from in, in France, in Strasbourg, where it gets really cold during winter, usually in the Netherlands is not that cold. It's just really humid and rainy and not not so like I prefer to have like really cold, but you can go outside and you just put layers and here's just like rain. So, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I don't it's... adapt well to the cold. We had it hit um negative one Fahrenheit uh the other week, which is unprecedented for where I live. So no no yeah. one <laughs> uh, buildings aren't made for it. No one's yeah. I mean everyone's dripping their faucets to keep their pipes from freezing. It's uh <laughs> not not super fun. Yeah. I so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to some springtime. But okay, so let me ask you this. Netherlands, is that the Dutch? Like yes. Well, okay. Like the, the what what people speak here is Dutch. Dutch okay. is the like the, the population of the Dutch, the the language is Dutch speaking. Uh the Netherlands is just the name of the country that some people also call Holland. Okay, but so I've I've got something that'll yes. blow your mind a little bit. So I was born in Pennsylvania. Actually, our friend Lindsay Betzendahl lives where I lived where I was eight years old, like in the exact same area. Um, mm -hmm. But in in the U.S., we have the Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, and the Pennsylvania okay. Dutch aren't Dutch. The Pennsylvania Dutch are German. So um, it's it was like Deutsch and like local people mm -hmm. like, oh, like Dutch. And they're like, sure. So they rolled with yeah. it. So like, yeah, there's actually <laughs> like windmill tourist traps and stuff right. and all these things. But it's a highly Germanic area. It's so surreal. Penny, Pennsylvania Dutch. Yes, I Pennsylvania can see. Dutch, and and that's also in the, the general region where the Amish live. Which, um, <laughs> when, when the power goes out, they're the only people that it doesn't affect. Like they're, they're, yeah, they're yeah. they don't notice. Yes. <laughs> Although no, my yeah. wife did call out once. We were we were there, um, and she saw a girl. She's like, she's cheating. She has a target purse. I'm like, I don't think that's against like their their sentiment. I think it's like no electricity mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Nah, I don't know. And but the the the, the thing that you said is not the first time because. The German in Germany is Deutsch, right? It's Deutschland. So between the Dutch and the Deutsch, I can imagine that you Pennsylvania is not the only state or place in the world where they made a, a confusion or a mistake about that. That is just... And, you know, it's just Germanic country... When you think about it, every at some point everything was a bit the same and blurry and right. Like, like at at one point, wasn't it during World War One when you had three rulers of Europe that were all first cousins and and that sort of thing? So, you know, a lot of a lot of there was a lot of cultural flow through the region at the time, right? And yes, yeah, like even the the region I'm from, Alsace. Um, at the time of my grandma, it was like she only speak German, even though she now live in France, because that region change country uh, quite often, like all the Alsace region. And if you go to Belgium, it's also a country that is split in half between the Belgium side that speaks Dutch and the part that speaks French, also just because of evolution of borders and rulers and yeah. He's so, he's like yeah. I envy that sort of fluidity and how you're you're French and you're just living in a different mm -hmm. country nearby and that's 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 easy. And I'm like I kind of like living in the U.S. The U.S. being so large, like the next biggest city to me is three hours by car at eighty miles an hour. That's how large the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of my European friends like why do all, why why are you so obsessed with cars? I'm like how else can we get anywhere? This place is massive. Mm -hmm. But but then I think about you know what like. Culturally, the U.S. is also all over the place. So not only in terms of where people sort of settled, but I think about um, my mother-in-law has a very, very thick Southern U.S. accent. And so does her mother. 
to the point where they could not understand each other, even though they really? ostensibly <laughs> were speaking. So there was one part where my mother-in-law was looking at her mom and she says, are you saying I'm blind or I'm lying? Like the point where the word blind and the word lying oh, sounded so, so similar that they could not tell what each other were saying. I'm like, this is amazing. Like everyone's missing out that yes. they're not here for this conversation. <laughs> yes. No, that's funny. That's funny. So I'm, I'm trying I'm, to think. I'm trying to think about your your the, the the thing about driving the car and yeah. Last time we when I go to see my parents is like a four four hours and a half drive distance to go see my parents, and I cross. I start in the Netherlands. I go in Belgium, Luxembourg, Germany, and France. So I cross. I, I I've been to to five country in four hours and a half of driving to go see my parents, right? That's From Netherlands, I mean. Belgium, Luxembourg, Germany, and France in, in four and a half hours. And while well, you just drive, you just pass through. But yeah, it's always funny to say, yeah, I just cross uh, five. I've been in five countries in, in that amount of time. Is is usually it's a bit surreal for the people in the US when you talk to them and you explain, yeah, that is, everything is really close and small. I mean, I think that that's so interesting um, because for me, like I live in Tennessee and Tennessee is in a very long state. So mm -hmm. I live in the okay. southwesternmost tip. And if I were to drive across the state, which I used to have to do to visit my parents, my parents lived in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. which was a thousand miles away. So that was a 15 hour car ride. Um, so in order to get out of my own state, it took a solid eight hours of driving across the state. And in that, you're, yeah. you're three major cities and many smaller. Uh, so it's it's Memphis on my end, Nashville's kind of central, and then towards mm -hmm. the far east end is Knoxville. And even those all have sort of different subcultures, which you you wouldn't expect in the U.S. You're like, you're the U.S. Like, you're all the same. It's like Memphis is more mm -hmm. urban. Nashville is more cosmopolitan, especially now that it's become like Hollywood East. And then Knoxville is is way more Appalachian. You know, it's it's way more like uh mountain folks so it's it's okay. getting this yeah. this spectrum across what is considered geographically to be one culture in one state but even across that it's it's uh divergent it, it, yeah interesting i don't know us enough to to i have seen the difference from the three cities i have been but i think out of the those three cities there is only one that people said it's a real city, like what you can expect. That was Minneapolis. And the, the two other were like uh, Las Vegas and New Orleans, which are by like, they are um, different biases. Like the, it's not your common uh, US cities, uh, but yeah. And, and you can see the difference. Yes, I agree. I mean, mm -hmm. Minneapolis is like when you're going there, you're definitely getting a slice of America and you're getting a slice mm -hmm. of Canada to a portion too, in terms of okay. culture. And New Orleans is definitely its own unique culture, yeah. but it, but also in a way that's very cultivated and you're getting a tourist experience if you go and you're not sort of, you know, keeping your eyes open. I mean, you can sort of see the French and Creole and like all these different sort mm -hmm. of cultures that muddle together. And then Las Vegas is just like the Disney store. It's like yeah, you're exactly. going to Las Vegas. This is this is a mousetrap designed to extract money from you. Yes. Yeah, I can agree. Which hopefully, uh, which hopefully we'll be at in a few months. Uh, I do you know if you you were uh, coming to Tableau Conference this year or unsure yet? Planning currently not to go. Currently okay. is the yes. Sadly, it's not that. Uh, I would let's say I would like to. It's just well, you know, they announced recently the dates and having two days to go to the US. It's hard to justify. I'm not sure that, yeah, and I like you know I, I don't have a a boss. I don't have to ask the permission. I don't have to ask the budget. I could just decide to go. But it's like take the plane and have that uh, that that environmental cost, like you know, of going to the US and justify it by yeah, it's a two day conference to see people that I like, and, and I'm sure we'll have a great time. But it's a bit hard to, to justify, especially when there are like other events kind of in the same time frame and other things. Yeah, come. yeah. I'm thinking about it, and I think I made my, my decision. Let's see if they will make some changes or 
I don't know. Currently, it's currently, I, I don't plan to go. Sadly. I, I totally I understand. Yeah. I to and especially you're traveling inter internationally. It's, yes. you know, yes. it, it's a big cost in a lot of ways for you, right? Like mm -hmm. and to, for it to be a two day conference, it's, it's more difficult to justify whether you're like you a sort of, um, you know, you obviously operate your own business, right? Or if you're a larger business trying to justify the cost to send your employees, mm -hmm. like, okay, it's two days. Well, Ultrix is like, what the next month and maybe i'll just send them to that maybe that's more justifiable like especially when businesses are cutting costs and having to mm -hmm. justify their choices more especially when you know if you're sending sort of more experienced folks like you and me um you know i'm not going to come back with a whole bunch of training that changed the way i think because yes. i'm i'm pretty seasoned um i'm you know i might attend i might learn a couple tips i might learn some tricks um, but more than that, you're sending me for networking. You're sending me mm -hmm. so that I can cross pollinate with other people and honestly, probably recruit to a degree. That's, that's one of the reasons that's worth sending me places. I, I really mm -hmm. did bringing uh, in new blood. Um, but it's like, is it worth it? Um, and I'll, also I've, I've been saying this and wondering this, is it worth it for the vendors? Because, you know, they're, they're hoping to offset some of the costs more than likely by bringing in vendors, which they didn't at the past Tableau conference, like but that, it's standard, time, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. It's standard for tech. Mm -hmm. yeah. And for these vendors, if it's two days and they know that Tableau is going to program the heck out of this conference, meaning they've got evening events, they've got morning events, they've got events all the time. When are they going to get a word in edgewise? Like they're there to promote their products. They want to do their own event and draw some people in to try to get you to use voice stream or whatever else services that they're selling. Mm -hmm. When are they even going to have the chance? Like, how do they justify that? Yes. Now you made a point. And I think because of also my experience um, at, in the previous conference last year in 2022, it also, if it was as good as in 2019, 2018, 17, I would have probably said, okay, well, it's worth it. I know, I know what I will get. I know that I will learn. I know I will meet um, a lot of great people. But last year already, you could feel a bit. I don't know if it's the the the, the shift with Salesforce, what the budget, the fact that it was also um, prepared in a more like a short timing because of COVID and, and things like that. But yeah, like you said, the the data village was m missing the vendors. Um, and and just the announcement, like honestly, usually you are waiting for keynote announcement. You are waiting for uh, um, data or what's the name? Um, uh, devs on stage announcement yeah. and things like that. And yeah, I, I honestly came back from last year's conference with I had a great time with friends and it was fun, but I, I didn't bring much in terms of. Uh, like pure knowledge, pure inspiration, or or things like that. The 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 even the the how is it called? You know the the, the speakers, um, the sessions. That's what I was um, searching for. The sessions. There were not so much so so many sessions as before. It was much more restricted and much more focused on uh, getting started and also Salesforce integration and stuff like that. So we still had some really great session, but mostly also repeated from the previous year. I don't know. I just came back a bit like underwhelmed uh, on the the on the technical aspect, right? Yeah, and so, I mean. It's understandable. And last year, I think uh, I did not get to attend in person. I attended mm -hmm. virtually and I missed some of the sessions I want to see most because they did not stream those. Um, they they reserved them for the conference. And I'm not like laying any judgment here or whatever. And uh, last year, the the impression and sort of the construction of it felt like, a oh, um, this is sort of a last minute thing. We thought we might not do one mm -hmm. because of Omicron or whatever. And then we realized everyone else was still doing conferences and we got to do a conference. So they put a conference mm -hmm. together and it's kind of understandable that it might feel like smaller, maybe more last minute. Um, from what I heard, maybe the attendance counts were about like 2000 versus, you know, maybe creeping towards 20,000 back in 2019, mm -hmm. you know, so significantly smaller, but that's not always bad, right? Like it could still be high quality content. And then yes. this year, yeah. this year mm -hmm. it's like, again, feels like maybe the announcement's kind of coming late. 
Uh, whereas with previous conferences, we expected uh, announcements of the dates like on the last day of a conference. You know, now it's like, yes. hey, we're <laughs> five months out. Is this going to happen? And it's, uh, you know, people are sort of questioning commitment and stuff like that. Right. Like, is Salesforce really interested in this? Is it mm. um, is it something they're going to continue doing forward? And between you and me, a lot of the rumblings that we hear on the private chats that aren't making it uh, to the public view is, is this going to be the last Tableau conference? Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, you know, I know people that are like, no, definitely not. Like, this is something that Salesforce is committed to. On the other hand, Salesforce just laid off 10% of their staff and is probably yes, going to lay I off more. It. So mm-hmm. I don't think anyone can say with any degree of confidence, yes, 100%, this is going to be an ongoing thing, especially since I think the expectation was last year was sort of a placeholder. Like, we got to do this. We're going to get it out there. We're going to try to re-engage in the physical mm-hmm. space with this community. And now this year, it's it's. I think a lot of people are wondering, like, is this a last hurrah? Yeah. Well, if it is, it would be sad, and I think a mistake. It's even already like a mistake to, in my opinion, to reduce the amount of days, because I always felt that um, if I started to really engage in the Tableau community and do stuff, it's because of those aspects, right? It's because of the community, it's because of uh, the first time I arrived at the, the my Tableau conference in 2017, it was like, okay, did, I didn't expect it that uh, from, a, from a conference. And then the people you meet and then the, the, the yeah, it, it's just for me, it, 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 what, it is what makes me want to do more things in Tableau, right? So the the fact that that the conference uh, reduced or even maybe not going to continue, I think it's 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 a mistake in in that sense. So wait, if that's yeah, yes. The year that you won Iron Biz was your first time to ever attend the conference. Yes, yes, first time in the U.S. Even I never went to the U.S. before. It was it was really like, hey, by the way, I I have this opportunity. To go so yeah it was my first and then my first conference i also couldn't ex- uh, experience the the conference really because i was uh in my room in my hotel room a lot practicing uh and then i missed a lot of the event basically the the conference started after rnvs for that night out and the, the next day that's why i could feel the kind of relief and be like okay now i can start to meet people and enjoy. I think before that, no one saw me. I was expect, expect um, except Jade and the other RNVs people that were competing, but we were, I was really in my room. <laughs> it, that's so funny. Um, my colleague, Brittany, she is going to the show this year. She's one of the three finalists mm-hmm. and I'm super yes. excited for her. And it's so funny because last time was her first Tableau conference. You know, it's obviously okay. to us, it felt like a step down because we were used to sort of mm-hmm. the, but for her, like it was, it was the best thing ever. Like she's meeting yeah, all yeah, the yeah. people that she wanted to see. She's doing the events and attending the things. And like, I, I couldn't have been happier for her. like seeing all the pictures, like, like, man, she's having the, the second best first conference ever. Kevin Florlidge had the best first conference ever. But, um, and then I'm like, oh, so your second conference is going to be like you with your nose and a laptop the whole time practicing yeah. for Iron Viz. Well, not everyone is is like me. For I think I <clears throat> I was definitely scared about um, speaking in English in front of so many people. So for me, it was like what I practice most is speaking. I just like my my speech was a hundred percent rehearsed and and written and like I knew exactly what to say at which point even though i made a lot of mistakes on stage but still i had really it was scripted for me right um because i, I only felt comfortable if i knew exactly what to say um but people like i, I met uh, cj at the conference last year and he was also going to uh, iron Viz, and he was at every event at every like really from the beginning enjoying his conference not at all uh rehearsing of like yeah they, they had the official one but still partying every night with us so i think you can and he did great so you i I think you can really experience the conference how you yeah how you want. 
CJ also Doesn't struggles with English. I'm joking, CJ. I love you, man. <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's a colleague and a friend. Eventually, everyone will work at JLL. That's just like we're we're like the Borg. We're just assimilating everyone. So I'm coming for I you, know. buddy. Watch out. Well, I don't think you can match with being freelance, but probably not. Probably not. Well, you know what? I, I mean, I yes. would never want everyone to work here for the same reason I never want Disney to own everything. You know, it's I want it's different totally, perspectives. Yeah. I want like the best people spread out everywhere. Like that's what makes everything better. Like as much as I love like all of my awesome teammates that I've known before, like Vince Baumel coming mm -hmm. to work here. I'm like, oh, man, yeah, I've yeah, Vince so, for mm -hmm. years. It's amazing mm -hmm. to have all these people that are sort of you know, uh, just a team's message away. Um, I, I also love the fact that not everybody works here and I wouldn't want everyone to. And that's my way of denying uh, that that I would want you to work here. So don't worry but about it. But you want to. Mm -hmm. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, but what I, I do want to say is I love the stuff you're doing lately in the, in the fact that you're creating all these crazy tools. Um, uh, yes. And, <laughs> and then I'm sweeping in and using them uh, and, and making low effort visits. But <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I think I think they they still miss the um, kind of business um, efficiency in the sense that right now what you generate is just a Tableau file, and if your data change, you need to uh, re-upload your data and re-download the file. So it's not it's not business ready. And I think if I at some point I make it business ready, that somehow you can put some some data in a place and the tools generate the new visualization and just publish it somewhere something like I, I i have not thought about that in detail but that would be something i would um put a price on right yeah if it's if it's for business then then it's different what i create mostly right now is honestly tool for me at the beginning is like i like to create networks i like to create those kind of charts and I don't want to have to go through templating every time you know like data blending um making yeah all the things that you need to do create all the table yeah. calculation all those things and I'm like no actually I want to simplify my own life making my network charts so I started to to build just for me a small tool that allowed me to just input the data and and get the 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 result in a tableau format and I was like well I'm sure the people would like to use that so I I, I polished it um quite a bit and then yeah make it available and I'm happy that you have been using it a few other people have been using it I am in discussion with a journalist a French journalist that is using also the tool to currently release something so yeah it's I'm happy to that that is really cool I'm happy to so and. You've yeah. created the network generator. I think you've also created a Sankey generator recently as well, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've already ridden your coattails in the past because you created a really thorough walkthrough of how to create a stream a stream graph, which is a really cool area, kind of like area chart variant that's very <laughs> difficult to make. And I'll be honest, uh, what I did was once I finally nailed it, because it took me about eight tries off of your demo, just because there's like 15 steps, like it's a lot of steps. Once I got it once, oh. I just swap out to, the data source now. To create a stream graph? Yeah. I don't know how to do that. It's not me. I'm it's sorry. It's not you. Is it, was it Ludovic? Probably. I'm confused with Ludovic. Uh, yes, I think so. Ludovic did it. Yes. But it's okay. Uh, we, are, we are both French. We were both at RNVs one, one year apart. You're not the first one. Let, let me tell you, the French are living in my head, right? Like you're, you're yes, my I, second French guest in a row. Like I, I am having a yeah, real yeah, right uh -huh. And I, look, I'm loving it because, uh, I mean, uh, honestly, talking to someone with a French accent, I just feel like I'm getting smarter, which is probably incorrect. But uh, in the fact that I'm talking with you and Evelina, I know I am. It's more more for the database than the accent, I guess. I hope. I hope. If everything I bring to this conversation is my accent, that is not <laughs> what I really want. Well, but yeah, you, no, I. You make me yeah. smarter in the sense that while you do create a template which uh, takes a huge burden off of making something difficult, it requires me to learn something in the process. So I've never mm -hmm. created network diagrams before. I'm unfamiliar with them. I didn't even know what the data had to be like. So you're like, oh, a JSON yes. file. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of nodding like I know mm -hmm. what you're talking about. 
And then you you explained to me, oh, a JSON file is formatted like this. And my understanding grows by me having to figure out a new data format, having to create something in that format, and then having to understand, okay, so when I do this, it does that within the template. So, I mean, honestly, I, I have to up my game just by using your things that make life easier because I have to gain new understandings along the way. And mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. And then the end results, well, I get these beautiful network diagrams. And I can say, hey, look, look at Tristan's tool. Like, you can do this too, um, is that I get to see things that I didn't understand the relationships between before. And that's mm -hmm. the power of the network diagram, right? Yes. Like, it's something that's difficult to make. And then once you have it and you can understand the sort of clusters, it visualizes things in a way that nothing else really does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It it tells there are really layers of story in the network. And I think that's why I really every time I I, I start to want to work on a new project and I find those kind of relationship between things, I'm like, ah, but if I want to make a network again, because when you just the first approach is a bit difficult. Like you have all those lines between things. And it's really by taking the time to explain and to to get, and I think the, the, the two projects that you did with the network, I'm sure that you have discovered things and you have learned things. And, and it's also those things that you want to convey in uh, one of the first one I did was about um, collaboration between Latin music artists. And I saw that one one of the 10 most famous, most stream um, reggaeton, like music, uh, Latin music artist was a bit excluded from the rest of the network. So it was the collaboration between those artists, right? And they all collaborate together, but one artist was really a bit further away. He was kind of excluded from the the the, the band, even though it was one of the, the, the 10 most streamed. And I was like, huh, that is interesting. Is there, is there a story behind that? Is there something that I see visually? Uh, and I can find an information. So I just Google the name of that artist. And actually, there is a really uh, good reason is um, he made some homophobic comments. Uh, no one else wanted to work with him. And, recently, and exactly. People and the, the, the collaboration he had in the past, well, and the, sorry, the collaboration he had were from the past, but none of the new artists wants to make music with him anymore. Yeah. And you could see that in the network. So I found it really interesting that at the beginning, it seems like, okay, like, is there something, is there a story? And then you find the story after you visualize it. So, and sometimes it's the opposite, right? Sometimes you want to tell a story and you use the, the visual to tell it. And sometimes the opposite, like the visuals uh, teach you something. So, yeah. I, 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 I like that. So interesting because um, I used it, um, I, I took a trip um, during the break. I went with my whole extended family to Nashville to do some Christmas activities. And on the way back, I was listening to the <clears> audio book <throat> of a book called Wild and Crazy Guys by Nick DeSemelin, which is about the Saturday Night Live stars of the early mm -hmm. 80s and their sort of 80s movie careers. And I was like, oh, this is a it's a great test case. You know, it's got about eight or nine different actors and then like, uh, what were their movies like in the 80s? And then you sort of see as it comes together, oh, wow, these these guys are very social, appearing in all these different movies together, mm. some of them more frequently than others. And um, and then I was like, okay, this guy's another book coming out soon called Last Action Heroes, which is about the action heroes of the 80s and 90s, like Schwarzenegger and Stallone and all that. Mm. I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. I'll do that too. So I, I actually haven't shown anyone that one because – when you do that, it's the two are starkly in contrast because while the wild and crazy guys is this interconnected network of all these people appearing together and sort of cross pollinating projects, Last Action Heroes has like two links, period. And they're they're both like uh -huh. Dolph Lundgren. Like <clears throat> Dolph Lundgren appeared in a Rocky movie and he appeared in Universal Soldier with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And besides that, these guys are pure alpha males and do not cross over in each other's movies during the 80s and 90s. And I'm like, that makes sense. Maybe they're too expensive. They probably uh, all consider themselves to be the star and don't want to work together. Whereas mm -hmm. a comedy, comedy is better when yeah. you add two, mm -hmm. two funny people. They get funnier. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I guess that might be different now if you looked at like the Fast and Furious franchise or something where they're just piling on, you know, here's here's another, uh, you know, here's Jason. Another State, one, another here's one. the rock, yes. you know, just keep adding people. Mm -hmm. And well, that, that is exactly what I, what drive me to 
visualize the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is exactly that is like you can like the movie or not they are not all great some are really some I like some not but what I want really wanted to to represent is how that universe that they managed to create is actually because they managed to have those cross interaction between different actors and when you see the result at the let's say at the end of uh, Endgame when every absolutely everyone joined the same movie and it is like not not uh, infamous people right it's really just big names and just piling 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 I I, I think that's really that that's really the, the interesting aspect is of whether you like it or not what they manage to to put over like uh, um, I don't know how many years anymore but like those 10 years of like just keeping almost a consistent cast in from the beginning to the to the end I think is a was an, a nice story to to tell with the network and yeah I think I think it's very clever and I think it's it shows um how you know the total volume of characters is large but it doesn't take much in terms of guest appearances to make stuff feel connected which sort of goes back to you know the sort of origins of you know marvel movies and stuff it's if in a Marvel comic, Spider-Man swinging around town, then he swings past, you know, Doctor Strange's house, the Sanctum Sanctorum. <laughs> like, oh, hey, that's right. Like these guys are connected. This thing's a little bit they, bigger. They, than... they, and the only downside the same that, <laughs> yeah, the only downside <laughs> that is later when Spider-Man's in a fight with a Green Goblin, you have to explain why literally no one else comes to his aid. Like, oh, yes. they're all they're all busy. Something else. Like, he's on his own now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. That I that that is always the feeling. Like why in their in their own movie, they suddenly the world stop uh, existing only for so small reference. But yeah, I think they try, they but, try. But yeah, I I am loving the network diagram generator. I highly recommend anyone that hasn't given it a try to go ahead and do that. And uh and yeah, support Tristan's work because like you seriously like uh, I'm I'm not joking about like you're doing God's work, man. Like taking the hard stuff and making it easy, and also inspiring people to try new types of charts and new ways mm -hmm. of visualizing data. And I think like that's what I I love, and that's why I like making like single single chart things because I like to make stuff that if someone that doesn't do what we did saw it, they'd be like, oh, like I didn't realize John Candy was in that movie, you know, something like that where. You, you can sort of spark some delight and also inform um, and, and something that otherwise people would you know, say, hey, I made a data thing. People, you know, I don't really I'm not a numbers mm -hmm. person. I don't want to look at this. But, you know, if you uh, if you make it sort of a little bit sweet, you know, or something like that, it, it really makes the medicine go down easier. So I have a question for you, because, well, I think for, from you, I, I will know the answer, but I think is is a. Something I was thinking. You say I'm doing good work by helping people and providing those tools that will help people do a difficult chart or like non-standard, more easy to do. And the network, for me, it, it's really a, a special kind of chart. But if you take the Sankey, right, the Sankey diagram, a lot of people complain that they are used wrongly. And if I take um, some of my previous work that I will also adapt in those new tools because I, I want all the kind of uh, difficult charts to be available in those kind of easy to do tool. The Voronoi uh, tree map that I used was also at some point every every visualization had like this Voronoi tree map and not always for like a good reason, right? It was not, not always a, a good usage. So I have heard that maybe you should not make those visualization more accessible because they will be misused or uh, overused in contexts that they should not. What do you think about that? Okay, great question. This is the Jurassic Park argument, right? Like you stood on the shoulders mm -hmm. of giants, you didn't put in the sure work you yourself. If you can. You know, uh -huh. and, and I think the question between technically being able to assemble something versus the judgment of how to use it are two different things because I have seen plenty of business, you know, business work that people have put together using the most standard charts that's mm -hmm. done inappropriately. So to me, it's less of a question of, wait a second, someone should be able to make this very difficult chart before they can discern how to use it. 
just because you went through the steps to create a very difficult chart still doesn't mean you know how to use it. They're not the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. We're separating sort of tool knowledge from fluency knowledge, right? Because this is a sort of two-part field where on one hand, you have to pick a tool. I mean, it could be a pencil, right? Like mm -hmm. we could yeah. just do this by hand. Mm -hmm. we, we could just go, um, Cole Maflick, we could get out a piece of paper and uh, like in a Steve Wexler session, we could draw out the best way to do this chart. And the sky's mm -hmm. the limit then, right? We're limited by our imagination and our ability to hold a pencil. So that's one question. Like, can you make the choice about what chart would communicate this well? And the other one is, can you actually make that chart? And I think that's where I come down on this. Like, just because someone went through the steps to figure out how to make it still doesn't mean they know how to use it right. And I think the the answer to bad charts is more good charts and also giving more volume to good charts. So when we see good stuff, like when I see a good pie chart, I say, this is a great mm -hmm. use case of a pie chart because pie charts have been maligned as pie charts are bad charts. Don't use pie charts. Yes. I disagree. Mm -hmm. I think pie charts are awfully often poorly using used because people don't understand the best use cases, but that doesn't mean there aren't good use cases for them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree on that. And it's funny that is discussion that I see or read here, let's say, more on the Tableau community, right? Probably because they are more like business people and they don't. And I can also understand that if you are like responsible of a team of 100 Tableau developers or Tableau uh, analysts, let's say, that will make charts, you kind of fear the fact that everyone can do bad things that will have impact on the performance and, and a lot of things. So, but because if you go to other communities and now because I'm more leaning towards the development, you know, these three people who make like a visualization on the web, uh, because that's how I, I made the, the tools that I do. I don't hear that because you can already do whatever you want in this three. You can already uh, just program like for me programming is the same as having a paper and a blank sheet you the sky is also the limit you everything you can draw you can eventually code and 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 develop so i think people are more used to have that freedom of being able to do whatever they want and and yeah no one's no one said and these three should that shouldn't allow people to make uh, an arc because people who are going to to do a sankey with it. So yeah, I think it's more like being people are afraid of having to maintain uh, visualization made by users. Yeah, I think like, you know, I, we, I've been talking a lot on the podcast about and we've been talking on the various communities and stuff about like data ethics a lot and how some people have some real like strong line feelings about what that means, like do this, don't do this. And other people, it's more like situational and sort of understanding different things. Like, for example, I I think I've talked about this a little bit. Um, there was this school shooting data set that I sort of I got from a nonprofit because I was helping a dad whose son was a, a victim. And I was asking him, like, hey, where can I get some data on this? And he referred me as nonprofit. And uh, the nonprofit has some very rudimentary charts like made in Excel. And I said, wow, you know, um, I see you don't have a lot of stuff. He's like, yeah, I don't have any money. Like I can't pay anyone to do this. And I said, what would you say if I, I knew a group of people that love making stuff mm -hmm. and could make, you know, a couple dozen of these for you overnight, given the understanding, not all of them are going to be great and that you might have to make some yeah. choices. Yeah. He said, that sounds good. So I pass it on to Andy and, uh, we, we did the makeover Monday and, um, some stuff turned out really well. And I, I know for mine, I probably put way more work into being careful about my language and my verbiage and being sort of sensitive around such a, a delicate topic, as well as not saying like, hey, I, I figured stuff out, you know, so like, um, and then there were some where I'm like, there's blood splatters and I'm like, OK, yes. that's and that's the same kind of situation. Like, I can't keep a data set away from someone that might not understand the delicacy of what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And I've dealt with some stuff. I've done some war things or combat things in the past. And I, I had to really think about how I wanted to visualize it and how I wanted to talk about it. Because each data point I'm representing was like 
someone's life and like someone's dad or child or or mother or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, working on heavy stuff like that can take a toll. I worked um uh, for 13 years uh, for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, so um we and my my niece is actually a patient there now. But you know, it's a it's a pediatric cancer hospital for terminally ill children, some of which may pull through and some of which won't. And it was a, every day was sort of a I'm looking across the street at the building across the street and like, ah, I guess I, I have to do my best today, because if I don't, you know, that might make the difference in fundraising that could, you know, save somebody's life. And mm-hmm. it, it was, it's difficult emotionally. It's, it's difficult. difficult. Yes. It's one of the reasons so many of the topics I deal with are so light, because it's like, yeah. you know, my work for so many years, not that my everyday stuff was about cancer. It was about, you know, fundraising and, you know, fundraising. and mm-hmm. outreach and stuff. Right. Um, but it's it's something I was conscious of. So when I do stuff, a lot of times I want it to be something fun and uplifting or something like that. But yeah, it's like I can't keep that data set away from someone that doesn't know to not do that. Right. And in the same way that mm-hmm. you can't keep the template away from someone that's going to make a bad chart and that bad chart to some people may make Sankey's look bad. Um, but for that same thing, for some other people, that's going to be the exact thing they needed. Um, and they knew they needed a Sankey or they thought a Sankey could show them something. And then it does. So I don't know. It's it's like so many yeah. things in I, life. Like mm-hmm. prohibitions don't work. Like, I think that's the one thing we've yes. we've learned. Yeah, like, people will, exactly. People, if, they, if someone wants to make a bad shot, he, will, he can take the hard... Uh, route and and do all the calculation and and you will have a result. So it's not because because it's easier that yeah probably more people will do it. But I think it's also completely okay to do mistakes. Like uh, that, that I think everyone's first charts we made mistakes and people can say okay that that to take the example of the pie chart that eight or uh, twenty wedges colored pie chart is probably not the best way to represent it. Oh, okay. And I try to do that right now with my client, with the people I is like, okay, do you want feedback on your visa? And if they, they say, yeah, I'm happy to receive. I say, okay, maybe this one uh, could be, and I try to explain or try to, sh- to show, right? Um, look, if you represent it like that, uh, which one do you get the, the information more easily? And, and and it's it's, it's a discussion, but the fact that they started to do something to visualize something, I prefer them to vi- to start to visualize badly than not start at all, right? For me, visual to to start to visualize something is already a start, and then you can add some good practice and some uh, um, some some opinion because in the end, is there is no rules as as like uh, no there is no database police so you can do whatever you want but yeah it's uh, people make mistakes all the time and it's okay it's it should not i think sometimes it's that the critics are a bit harsh for and people just want to learn and people just yeah i made mistakes all the time and probably if i hope in 20 years i will look back at my current visa and i will be ah that that was not the best choice but it's okay i progress I am 100% with you. I, I, I'm I not going to say I want a safe place because there's not really a place. This is all very ambiguous and ethereal, <laughs> right? But I, I want to put forward a face where people understand it's okay to fail. It's like it's okay to fail publicly. It's okay to feel, fail loudly. It's all about like growth and understanding. And your failure is going to be something someone else learns from. It's going to be something you learn from. It's why, you know, so many of us don't take down our older work, even though sometimes Mm -hmm. it might have errors, it might be bad choices, it might um, be embarrassing compared to our current, you know, output. You know, you might like I look back at some of my stuff and I'm just like, what was I even thinking? This doesn't say anything. But at the time, Mm -hmm. I felt really proud of it. Um, And that's and, and that's all part of like growth. And I think. The more we all grow and the more we see each other's stuff. And, you know, if you can see someone else's failure and you learn from that, this is not a loss for anybody. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, no, I agree. And and to, to just complete what you said before about the, the topics, I have never, I think, but no, I'm quite sure. 
never made any visualization about a, a topic that was difficult, you know, that was about um, something that was that could hurt or something like that. I I feel and that I'm not ready or like I it's I am I'm really afraid of making a mistake. And yeah, <laughs> in any of my videos about beer, about music, about Marvel movies, you, I can do mistake. I can forget to make a link between an actor and a movie, and someone will probably notice. And oh, okay, yeah, I did. But but when you talk about the difficult stuff and 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 I'm happy that people have the courage, let's say, to to do visual, visualization about that is just like is so difficult subject. And I think you you really need to work with people who have the knowledge about the topic, especially like during the the COVID uh, years that we had. It was really difficult to be able to put a visualization and to influence in somehow people's choice and decision and, and to say something because it's you you need some experts I think to back up what you do and and I have asked that that very same question uh, when I was in a in a in a conference in Minneapolis in in IU festival there was a lot of data journalists and I asked them um, how can you every day make visualization about heavy stuff like the only thing i want to visualize is like fun stuff things that bring me joy things that i am happy how can you make this about murders and death and this and that for like it's not something i want to visualize how do you keep a healthy mindset and and yeah and they say yeah at some point you get unsensitivized is that the correct word like you 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 stop you stop not caring, but you you stop feeling that much for what for, for, is data. So you you take a kind of cool approach. Yeah, and I think that that's thinking about the journalists and covering difficult topics. I think mm -hmm. there's a there's a real balance in terms of what we talk about and why we're talking about it. So, like, um, let's say my my dad. Uh, follows the the local news heavily and he'll send me articles. Hey, do you know someone was shot on the interstate the other day? And I'm like, what? Uh, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, I'm looking at the article. I'm thinking, what did that add for me? Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's a random act of violence. I mean, you, typically when that stuff like that happens, it's like, it's like gang related. It's not just like someone mm -hmm. shot a random person. I'm like, well, I can't not drive through there because I have to go there to my kid's school. Um. What has this done for me? Because I can't make any yeah. choices mm -hmm. to stop it. I can't make any choices to make myself safer. All it's done is made my world slightly darker. Um, and it's not, I'm not saying ignorance is bliss. I'm saying like when we think about, you know, like news, like there, there's, there's no news for like the sake of news. Just like, hey, that's something I know now. Like that, that made my world a little bit worse. I can't change anything about that. Versus something mm -hmm. where, oh, hey, that is something where maybe I could go and like uh, volunteer my local community center and help out some of the, you know, some of these these single mothers that are like I, I have been working with a program through Emory University called Women in Technology, where we're training single mothers on tech skills and helping them get placed in, in nice paying jobs. And I'm like, that's something that can make a difference. Like that's something that mm -hmm. can sort of break generational poverty and stuff. But like, if I just sort of like, Hey, do you know, a lot of single mothers are struggling and their kids aren't doing well. I'm like, that's not as yes. good. Mm -hmm. Like I, I like, if we talk about something heavy, if we talk about, but here's something that you could do. Um, so I don't know that that's not really, but, but that, that's, that, that's why I, I think that's, that's why I differentiate news, which yeah. is, this happens and more like um that's why I, I like also our field that we can take some time and distance and explain things and explain the cause the consequences and how how to to help or how to try to change right yeah. is really taking that that time um because yeah like that for me it, news is is like mostly about you know that I think it's called a negativity bias yeah. that you never report about the train that are coming on time, right? You always report about the train that are late and you also never remember the, the things that are on time. You always remember 
your experience of uh, delay and and things like that. So in order to yeah, well, we <laughs> it's a total a different subject. But in in order for me to keep the attention of people, you need to keep bring more news that are usually negative. You never put any news channel and they say, ah, oh, today it's like a really great, like, and, and is always about bad stuff. So because it doesn't make you come me. back if it's good. Like bad and news guess, has yeah. the effect of, of, of inspiring fear, which makes you need to come back for more news to know what happens next. Like, are we going to be mm -hmm. okay? Are we going to get through this? Or alternatively, uh, which is sort of a more modern thing, anger. It's like, who can I be angry at about this? And what mm -hmm. will get me worked up so that I also keep coming back to learn more about how bad these people are, you know, um, which are two of the, and it's, it's so interesting. I read a book um, several years ago. Um, Michael Crichton is one of my favorite authors, science fiction author. And one of his last books, he, he became like a very more, sort of more preachy and political as he went on. I mean, he was always preachy. Like if you read Jurassic Park, Ian Malcolm is a very preachy character. Um, but uh, he wrote a book called State of Fear, which is about sort of, the news using fear to just you know sort of push people to do what they want and stuff. And a mm -hmm. big part of it was because he was a medical doctor and a scientist was like, if we're going to talk about like science on the news or in politics, like we should fund like three labs for any topic we want to talk about. Like one that is invested in this thing being true, one that is invested in this thing being false, and then a lab that doesn't really have an agenda here. And then we examine the results of all three labs and then we talk about it. But well, that's not how anyone mm -hmm. does anything. Um, but no, I mean, I thought there was because... a lot of merit to that, and it is, it's it's worth a worthwhile uh -huh. discussion. But yeah, I think you you have a very strong point about negativity bias, and you know, news has a a a real effect on how you live your life. If if you the more of it you consume and, and get wrapped up in it, not saying I don't want to be informed about what's going on in the world, but it's if if your intent is to um, get more clicks from me, like I become skeptical of your agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And um yeah, to to add is how is can I express this? There there is that negativity bias, like that that this thing that you need to to report. Um yeah, that, that people are more hooked up when it's about bad things happening. And also I think one of the main issue and, and again that's why I love my field, the, the the field of data visualization is people, you, well, there is that tendency of we need the answers now. We need, there is not, not a lot of room to take the time to say, I don't know, right? It's like you, I don't know to explain that really, but is that feeling, that urge of there the need to be information right away. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that was really, really um, problematic at, at the beginning of COVID, where no one knew, but everyone kind of had this feeling of, we need answers, you need to tell us what. And because, because those quick answers, because they were not arriving from, from uh, people who needed time, they arrived from people who made... Um, let's say, quick answers that were not backed up by research, right? And and that's that's why it's difficult when you have something new that is that that is new and then requires time. And and I think we in our job can and we have to take the 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 time to make the research and, and come with answers that are are not quick and sometimes it's difficult to today and i have this discussion with friends or family sometimes it's difficult to have an there is no easy answer to a to a question and i think in in most of the exactly let's say news media we have quick and easy answers to problems that requires long and complex answers Right, and and it's because it's it's much more easy to to lean towards a quick and easy. That 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 that's where you you create this um, this um, how do you say 
divergence between people like this this between um yeah taking yeah, yeah. most answers requires long and complex uh, yeah i i think I that's 100% i think i think we're sort of you know trained particularly through uh, all the fiction we enjoy right like it's like oh what we do this that fixes that and uh, real life rarely works that way, even in things as small as our personal relationships, right? Like how often is something that builds to a head and becomes a, a real spot of discomfort between say you and a, you know, romantic partner or a parent or something, how often mm -hmm. is it? Oh, like all I have to do is say this and it fixes everything. Like it, it's, mm -hmm. it's almost never that it's usually, yeah, it um, it's a trend of something or, you know, something, something fundamental or something like that that's much more difficult to resolve. And that's just between two people, much less societies or complex social or economic or, or uh, biological issues. Right. Like, I mean, e even the, even, uh, I don't know. So, so many things, but yeah, I, I've enjoyed the heck out of this conversation. I, I miss talking to you. I miss seeing you. I remember, um, I met you for the first time back at TC 18 in new Orleans at the Superdome. Mm -hmm. Lindsay Betson will introduce me to you. And I was like, Oh man, like he's the iron Viz winner. He's so cool. And it's like, I'm, I'm just, I, it's a privilege to get to talk with you and, to, and to be friends and honestly to get to use your stuff because you, you create Shouldn't brilliant have, things that I would never make. And that's what I love. I love that everyone coming from all these different backgrounds and perspectives and interests, you get this, this wide divergence of not only outputs in terms of data visualization, but sort of backgrounds and how you're, you're right now leaning into the technical and taking the difficult and making it simpler. And while people are definitely going to use these to make some bad charts, I think <laughs> that's good because I think yeah. other people will look at those bad charts and they'll think, hmm. That doesn't work. Like even sometimes when you're new, just as you're exposed to more and more good things, you see something wrong and you're like, this is wrong. I don't know why, but I, I can tell. And it, it sort of takes that time of seeing good stuff and bad stuff and developing the language to understand mm -hmm. and explain why that that makes people better. And I think, um, you know, you're moving stuff along by doing that. Thank you. I also appreciate a lot the conversation and, and meeting you and yeah, sadly, if if I'm not at TC this year, I hope uh, we will find another the way to to have more discussion. The, we have conference in Europe too. Like uh, you are welcome to <laughs> to visit. Uh, I think there is one in May uh, in Porto. There is the the Data Visualization Society conference outliers in Porto for three days. Portugal in May sounds delicious. So that, that does sound delicious. I would I would love to come. The weather's <laughs> the weather and climate would be lovely. Um, let's see how my wife's new business takes off, and we'll talk about it. Yes. <laughs> okay. No. No. But like, yeah, yeah. You know, you are welcome also in in the Netherlands anytime. Uh, just let us know, and yeah, hopefully we can catch up uh, in another time. Well, you know what? Let's not uh, let let's talk more often. I, I've mi I've missed I've missed <laughs> your face and I've missed uh, talking with you. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And everyone's going to enjoy this a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I've enjoyed too. Hopefully, it. <laughs> hopefully, I, I don't know if people have learned anything. Maybe about I, I learned about Pennsylvania Dutch. I didn't know about that. That is a bit funny. <laughs> but yeah, I I hope people will be able to to take a few a few things from our discussion. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. 
Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.